Hello, and welcome back to the Rewatch Rewind. My name is Jane, and this is the podcast where I count down my top 40 most frequently rewatched movies in a 20-year period. Today, I will be discussing number 7 on my list, Disney's 2001 comedy The Princess Diaries, directed by Gary Marshall, written by Gina Wenkos, based on a book by Meg Cabot, and starring Anne Hathaway and Julie Andrews. Mia Thermopolis, Anne Hathaway, is a shy and unpopular 15-year-old just trying to survive high school when the grandmother she's never met, Clarice Rinaldi, Julie Andrews, shows up and reveals that she is the queen of a small European country called Genovia. Since Mia's father, whom she also never met, has recently died and had no other children, Mia is now first in line for the throne. While she's still deciding whether to accept this job, Mia receives princess lessons and a makeover, and has to deal with how these changes affect her relationships, especially with her best friend Lily Moskowitz, Heather Matarazzo, and Lily's brother Michael, Robert Schwartzman. This movie is so fun and iconic that I felt like I needed two special guests to talk about it with me, so in a few moments I will be joined by my sister Rosemary, whom you may remember from the Newsies episode, and my friend Sophie, whom you may remember from the Enchanted episode. But first, the breakdown of when I watched this movie after I started keeping track. Three times in 2003, three times in 2004, five times in 2005, twice in 2006, twice in 2007, twice in 2008, once in 2009, once in 2010, once in 2012, twice in 2013, once in 2015, once in each year from 2017 through 2020, twice in 2021, and once in 2022. Yes, I watched this movie 30 times in 20 years, and I would do it again. So let's talk about it. Hello, Sophie and Rosemary. Hi. Hello. Welcome back to both of you. Thank you. Happy to be back. Thanks for having me back. I'm so glad to have you both here, even though you've never met each other before. (laughs) But I know that you both love this movie, as do I. So I'm very excited to talk about Princess Diaries. I think we can start with how we got introduced to this movie. If we remember, I know that Rosemary saw it in theaters and I did not. That's too bad. Rosemary, you want to go first? Sure. Um, I don't remember exactly all of the circumstances. I do remember going to see it in theaters with my mom and it was really good. We really enjoyed it and we're like, Jane will love this. And really liked the line, goodbye, trolley people. That really tickled us. And then I do remember around the same time, the local like bookstore and newspaper, I think, put on this contest where someone could like write an essay about why they should be like princess for the day or something. And one of my best friends at the time was like the winner of it. Oh, wow. So that was when I like realized that, oh, these are actually books too. And then got really into the books around the same time as well. That's so cool. So those are my like early memories of Princess Diaries. Yeah, I actually can't remember if I got into the books or the movie first. Probably the movie. But I would say my trajectory was really similar. Like, if I saw the movie first, then I read the books immediately after. And I probably saw, like, a trailer for the movie on Disney Channel or whatever. Because I I do distinctly remember, like, they did this thing where, like, 
they would if if the movie or show or whatever had a song they would do like a music video of whatever the big song was in the movie and show that as like a commercial for whatever it was and then in this case because there I mean there was miracles happen and they probably did a music video of that but they also did like they would show like a scene from whatever it was like sneak peek into our latest whatever and so they did the the tea scene at the consulate where the gosh gee whiz golly wally exchange happens and so of course like me and all my other little six-year-old friends were saying shut up to each other (laughs) and thought that was the peak of hilarity um which I'm sure our parents were thrilled with so that was that was definitely a big a big scene for us and then I also remember like early on like shortly after it came out on VHS or whatever for Jane's birthday her like birthday party was like I remember our family but I don't know who else was there and we all just like gathered in the living room on the pull-out couch with the like little like 12 inch VHS player and we all like gathered around it and watched Princess Diaries that's so fun and that was like your 12th birthday party or something yeah yeah no I I was trying to because like I definitely remember you and mom going to see it and and coming Mm -hmm. back and being like there was this really funny goodbye trolley people scene and I was like what does that even mean (laughs) (laughs) and um but I don't remember like I assume that I'd seen it before that birthday party because otherwise why would I have asked to watch it for my birthday? Mm-hmm. I didn't see it in theaters, but maybe we had rented it or something before that. But I definitely remember that because I we watched it for my birthday party and then since we had rented it, we had it for a few more days and I watched it like multiple times all of the days that we had it because it was also like my birthday was during spring break Ooh. and that was only like a couple months after our aunt died Mm -hmm. so it was like a weird time and I was like kind of sad during that time but Mm -hmm. like that week I just remember like watching this movie over and over and just being like I love this so much this is the thing that makes me happy but I wasn't keeping track of movies yet because that Mm -hmm. was 2002 and so I'm like, okay, well, if I if I'd started a year earlier, the, this movie would have so many more watches. Yeah, because as it is, I've watched it 30 times in in the 20 years that I counted. But I don't remember how many times I had watched it before. But I definitely was just like so in love with it. I'm not exactly sure what it was about this movie that I was so excited about when I first started watching it. Well, it's very. It's a very comforting movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it feels very, like, warm and, like, a hug. Yeah. I do, like, I always worry with the movies that I feel that way about, like, is it nostalgia or is it really a good movie? I think this one airs on the side of it's really a, just a good movie. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I I would agree. I just, I, every time I watch it, I'm just like, this is just so nice. It's, it, there's, I mean, there's conflict and there's like a few uncomfortable moments, but overall it's just like a nice story. Yeah. And it has a good, it's a good tone between silly, goofy, and also like very sweet and sincere. And like, it never feels like overreaching in 
the like emotional moments that it hits yeah like it all feels very like genuine and earned and like realistic yeah for like for finding out that you're a princess when you're 15 it's a really realistic movie (laughs) well yes is it based on a true story but no but I get what you're saying like the premise is absurd and at the same time it's very grounded in reality and I I appreciate that like the characters seem to be genuine, like good-hearted people. I love that people apologize when they do the wrong thing. Like, and Jane and I were talking before we started recording about the some of the changes between the book and the movie, and I think making Clarice a nice person is one of the things that this movie does really well because book Clarice would never have apologized to Mia for making her feel bad or like not listening to her and then you get Julie Andrews who's like I'm really sorry that I judged before I you know heard your side of the story. One of my favorite stories about this movie coming to be is that when they were talking to Meg Cabot about how they were going to adapt it somebody was telling her like we're thinking about like killing off the dad and expanding the grandmother's role because because the dad is alive in the books Mm -hmm. and like we have someone like a really big star in mind to play the grandmother and we think like we should expand her role and get rid of the dad and Meg Cabot was like well who who are you thinking and they said Julie Andrews and she immediately went kill the dad (laughs) (laughs) yeah and Julie Andrews This was an interesting point in her career because she had recently undergone surgery that caused her to lose a lot of her singing voice. Like that was in the mid 90s. And so she was kind of in retirement Mm -hmm. to a certain degree. Like she wasn't really sure what the rest of her career might look like. And this was also her first Disney movie since Mary Poppins. And it's just so cool to see her sort of mentoring Anne Hathaway, who is making her feature film debut in a big Disney movie, which is exactly what Julie Andrews had done with Mary Poppins. And first of all, just hard to believe that this is Anne Hathaway's first movie because she's so, she carries the movie Mm -hmm. so well. Like, I do think that's a big part of why you get that grounded feel is like, she brings such a like realistic sense to the role of Mia and I just think she was perfectly cast and I also just think it's so fun that she's kind of following in the footsteps of Julie Andrews I mean obviously her career has looked very different overall but it's kind of fun that they both had the same introduction to movies yeah that is really interesting that julie andrews didn't do more disney movies after mary poppins yeah right because you think she's such a disney icon yeah you would think that like they would be really fighting for her to Mm -hmm. have roles and stuff keep her in keep her in the family in the fold yeah that was that was something that i hadn't i wasn't really aware of until relatively recently i was looking up more facts about this movie and i was like wait really it's just very interesting. I'm not really sure how that conversation went of like convincing her to do this movie if she was like really excited about it or if she needed some mm-hmm. persuasion, but I'm really glad she did because like I'm sure I had seen Mary Poppins and Sound of Music multiple times before Princess Diaries came out, but like that's really what made me become a Julie Andrews fan is seeing her just totally kill it in this role. Yeah. 
I think Mary Poppins probably was my first, but this is the first that I like really remember of her. Yeah. So the two of them, I mean, everybody in this movie is great, but I love the dynamic between the two of them and like the whole scene when they're like at the arcade together is really nice. And and just like seeing their characters relationship transform throughout the movie is great. And I just thinking about like, yes, this is a romantic story and like there's some focus on her and Michael, but there's so many other relationships that are really important and really focused on in this movie. And like Mia and her grandmother, Mia and her mother, Mia and Lily, like there's friendships and family relationships. And it's like, and there's a romance too, but it's kind of like, that's not really what the majority of the movie is focused on, which I think has always resonated with me yeah I would definitely agree that although the Josh versus Michael conflict is a really big one it is a romantic conflict and yet it's not like it's not romantic it's just like kind of an allegory for Mia trying to in much the same way that to be a princess or not to be a princess is like her growing up and developing like maybe the things that I thought I wanted aren't the things that are going to make me the happiest. And I do sort of like in the book that she's always had this kind of pining crush for Michael. I think that's very sweet. But it's nice that Josh serves as like a, this, you know, this is what I've thought I've been working towards this whole time. And then it turns out it actually is really horrible and I don't like it. And I would rather do something else. I think it serves the same sort of purpose that she's like, growing up and becoming more like sure of herself and confident. Yeah, I think things that I've always liked about the movie, like the romantic teen sort of aspects of it, is that it feels more realistic to what people actually go through in their high school years than a lot of teen movies where they're like, oh, this is my true love. I'm going to marry them. I'm going to, you know... Whereas, like, Mia has this crush on this guy, and, like, she gets all giggly and flustered when she's around him, and she's not smooth, and neither really is he, but, you know... He thinks he is, though. He thinks he is, and and I feel like that's very, like, sweetly portrayed in, like, a very innocent, like, teen romance feel that I think a lot of teen movies, they rush into being way too adults and like heavy feeling but I've always I've always really liked that Mia doesn't she doesn't Josh doesn't notice her because really any other reason other than because she's a princess she doesn't have smooth pickup lines she's not like cool and confident there's not really any focus on oh she's like really sexy so he's of course he notices her it's really just because he wants to be to have some fame. And then like this guy that's like her best friend's brother, like I feel like that's stuff that happens to people. You know, it's like you're around these people for your whole growing up years and you're like, "Well, I have feelings. I don't know what these are, but maybe I'm in love with you, but maybe I just, you know, I'm trying to figure things out." And like she wants to get her first kiss. And it just feels so 
sweet and innocent in a way that I think a lot of teen movies really miss that point um, and are really like thrown into like much bigger like I'm desperately in love with you or I want to sleep with you or things like that and this movie really like keeps it like at least more of what my experience as a teenager was where it was like oh I have a crush on this person I'm awkward and then we move on or we hope they notice us but then when they do I don't know what to do and so that aspect of like it does have that romantic story but it definitely feels like yes these are teenagers who are like feeling things for the first time and what does that mean and what does that look like right it's very sweet and innocent she's like very concerned with if her foot's gonna pop or not like she's not there's no like you were saying it's not like desperate she's not like this is you know my my parents say I can't be with this person and so therefore I have to have him and we have to run off and get married and then he's gonna turn me into a vampire or whatever (laughs) and she wants to be kissed and she wants to have this little like old movie moment and then she does get that and it's but it's with Michael it also is a little bit of maturity like I don't like him because he's you know cute or popular or he has a boat or whatever it's you know you you noticed me you saw the real me and you like me anyway you saw me when I was invisible tears and then and then all the lights turn on and the fountains come on and we're in the garden with the roses and yeah so. Yeah, that's it's interesting because so much of the movie feels so like relatively realistic given the premise and then that moment it does kind of seem a little bit fairy tale-ish, but it's also explained because multiple times throughout the movie the queen is talking about how she needs the gardens to be fancier. Make me an Eden. Yeah, exactly. So they're like working on the gardens the whole time. And so like that kind of that pays off in that moment too. And it's like, it's not just this came out of nowhere. It's like, this is what the garden needed to be beautiful for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that we keep going back to, yeah, this movie is realistic. The story is realistic. <laughs> because, okay, first of all, she finds out she's a princess for the first time when she's 15. And Josh, who's like a 15, 16 year old, has a boating license <laughs> and his own boat. Yeah. But otherwise, it's it's realistic. They go to this high school that can rent out an entire private beach with a <laughs> DJ and catering. What even is this party? They're Josh is on his boat. The the girls are doing their like studio sound system concert. <laughs> the there's like random food with whole watermelons for some reason they do like a close-up shot on this kid's plate and he's got half a watermelon filled with grapes like what are you doing who provided this who is this for and in a deleted scene they did a banana dance (laughs) right yeah but i mean i guess part of it is explained like that it is a really fancy rich school because Mm -hmm. like it seems like her royal family members were paying for it which she seemed to be somewhat unaware of in lieu of having a relationship i'll just like send my child to private school and buy a fabergé carousel for her bedroom yeah because of course i did really want that though as a child the little music box thing 
and the diary that opens with the locket. That was the coolest. That is really cool. I also think it's funny, though, because, like, the books, like, the whole conceit of the books is that they are her diaries. Like, she's writing them. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, she doesn't even get the diary until the end. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. But, okay, so books that are turned into movies. Generally, I'm like, the book is better why do we even have the movie? The movie tried, but it didn't do anything. And I feel very differently about this. I love Princess Diaries as a movie. And I love the book series. And they are two very different things. Completely separate entities. Yeah. And also, all I want in the world is like, a mini series that takes place in the early 2000s in New York where the books take place and shows these teenagers in the early 2000s actually doing what the books are and like have it be really good and I would pay a lot of money to see that so whatever major streaming service is listening to this I would love that and to have actually have the mean grandma and the dad who's alive and justice for Tina Hakeem Baba God bless. Because we love her and she needs her moment. She sure does. So I would love that. Yeah. Well, I I volunteered to to write it. I, I, I will be in the writer's room once the strike is over. But with the caveat that it can't be gritty. Like they can't, it can't be dark. There can't be like, you know, we're all really depressed and sneaking around. And like, it has to be as like sweet but a little more aged up than what the movie was yes yeah because i do definitely feel like the movie is for a younger audience than the books Mm -hmm. yeah which is weird because i'm sure that i started reading them when i was like seven years old and she's talking about like getting her period at the moskowitz's house and like wanting to make out with someone at lily's bat mitzvah and i was like what is what is this (laughs) And then there's that, like, weird stalker man that, like, is stalking mm-hmm. Lily and wants to see her feet. And Yeah. But, like, I loved that series so much. Reading those books, like, really got me into, like, YA realistic fiction. Realistic. Mm-hmm. We're going with that again. Um, <laughs> but, like, I was obsessed with, like, YA books all through like middle and high school and I think it really did start with Princess Diaries and I was always like so excited when a new one came out and would like just devour it and like even like last year when the earlier this year I don't know when Quarantine Princess came out I was like we have a new one we still need more of the story How many books are there now? I mean, I guess there's some that aren't, like, technically part of that series. Yeah, so there's ten that encapsulate her, like, high school years. And then there's, like, a few extra ones that go in there that are, like, little short ones. And then there's the one, I think it's, like, her wedding, maybe? Yes, that one came out, I think, maybe in, like, 2015-ish. And then there's Quarantine Princess, which came out, like, in blog format 
in 2020 and then got like compiled and more things added to it and came out like within the last year. So Mia's still around. She survived COVID. And there's the spinoff ones about her half-sister, right? Yes, yeah. So and then I think around the same time that that, the one that came out in 2015 that I can't remember the name at this moment, Meg Cabot also made like a middle grade series that there's a younger half-sister that came into the picture. And so she has her diaries as well. So there's like supplemental content there and I I read the first one and it was very sweet and good but I don't think I read any of the other ones I just found out about that so that's all new to me but I did I did love the little like princess diaries and a half much like the lion king one and a half I think is the best (laughs) lion king I think some of the princess diaries and a half are my favorites I think the only one that I actually had was the one where she and Michael do Habitat for Humanity together. Yeah, I was gonna say, I was like, isn't there one where they like build houses together or something? Yes. And then there's like a Christmas one too, I think. Okay. And then that's probably why I didn't have that one. (laughs) (laughs) Being Jewish. (laughs) Yeah, because they needed like Lily's Hanukkah or whatever. And then I also had, I don't know if you know about these, there's one like companion book written, I think by Clarice, and then there's one written by Paolo, and they're like, it's essentially the care and keeping of you, but the care and keeping of a princess, mm-hmm. and so Clarice's one is like etiquette, all these etiquette rules for like dining at a fancy party, and then Paolo's is like how to, you know, do hair and makeup and stuff, and I love those. Yeah, I, re- I remember reading those too. Is that when they talk about the cousin Sebastiano that like doesn't finish his words and then he's like please pass the butt (laughs) I remember that character don't be like him and say pass the butt at dinner especially (laughs) when meeting with heads of states so there's a lot of princess diaries content is what what we can sum up this conversation with definitely and all of it is good yeah I feel like I mean, I know you were like way more into the books than I was, mm-hmm. but I I feel like we read some of them together. I'm like, sure we did. We'd already read them, but like we used to read stuff out loud to each other a lot. So I think that that was one of the things, at least because I remember really liking the third book. And now I'm like, I have no idea what even happens in the third book. The third book is the best. It's really good. If that's the one with the non-denominational winter formal, that's, I totally agree. And that's when Michael makes a computer program to tell her that he loves her. Oh, yeah. Okay. I would read that little section like over and over and over again. And I would be like, if only someone would love me enough to make a computer program that says. code for you. Yeah. That says like, I love Princess Mia. And then she like gets up and runs away because she's like all embarrassed and then she's like later they talk and she's like I thought you were making fun of me and he's like never oh what a sweetie I I love Michael I love Michael too I think casting for him was great he's so freaking weird in the movie and I love it in the scene where he's he's like still kind of mad at Mia and he comes over to the house and she like gives him the last check for the car. He puts it in between his teeth as he walks out of the door. Yeah, for no reason. 
He has nothing but his hands. What is wrong with him? I love him. But he's also really weird in the books, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it works. He cars. He plays guitar. And and he he can sing. sing. He is so hot. hot. He is wicked sweet. I think the person who said he is wicked sweet is the infamous cousin Meredith, who uh, was Anne Hathaway's, like, I don't know if she was technically her guardian. She was only a few years older than her, but, like, I think that Anne Hathaway was still 17 when they started filming, but she was, she turned 18 during filming, and that was helpful to the filmmakers because then she could work longer. But she was such a baby. I know. Oh, she's so cute. No, I've always loved Michael. I think he's a great character. He's a great person. Yeah. He invented a robotic surgical arm in the books that like does heart surgery. Yeah. He's I mean, he was he's great. I like I also I really get it as like someone who had had has an older brother who like all my friends are like how your brother's actually kind of hot and I'm over here like Lily being like what are you talking about are you blind because I live with the guy but yeah I definitely related to their to their family a lot as like neurotic Jews (laughs) just hanging out I think it's really funny how like the moment at when they're like about to dance and at the ball at the end and and Mia doesn't know if Michael's gonna show up or not and then he comes in he like comes through the crowd and he passes Lily and he like tickles her or something it's like they have a weird little sibling moment there before he goes to dance with Mia and it's just I knew you were gonna bring that up because (laughs) I think of it every time Jane's just like it's so weird when he tickles her stomach it is weird but it's it's like a good kind of weird of like like I think that too often again going back to the whole like romance versus other relationships thing I think that that too often in romantic stories it's like they kind of forget about how everybody how they're connected to everybody else Mm -hmm. once the like two get together and I think that it's nice that their friends are there too like that that Lily and Jeremiah are also there and like it's showing that that it's like they're all connected and it's not just this and that like lily is really the one who pushes mia to to realize what being a princess could mean and how that could be a good thing and like a responsibility yeah and i i also i would agree with you jane that it's weird i think it's maybe not on purpose but like that is a very like at least in my experience, like my brother would do that too. And it would be very awkward, but he would like mean it in a loving way. He right. just doesn't know what else to do. Yeah, no. And I th- I think that's great. I mean, it's, it's weird, but like, I, I love that. I love all the little weird things that happen. That's a big part of why I love this yeah. movie. There's so many weird little moments that you're just kind of like, why is that there? But also I love it. I mean, yeah. just the whole thing with like, when she breaks the statue and maybe puts the, it's strange she, exactly she puts the finger in the mouth of the statue and and that scene is really funny too i love when she breaks it and she immediately like 
shushes the statue <laughs> I'm like don't tell anyone that I broke you and then like she just sticks it in there and it's just a kind of a throwaway thing and then it comes back in the best way they're famous for their cheese maybe it's string cheese and it's just uh it's so good like th that serves no purpose but it's hilarious also how did she break that statue like isn't it made out of like marble like right. that she would just like touch it and it would break like what <laughs> What is that statue made out of? That was a, an untapped part of the story that she also has super strength, but just like oh, nobody. Right. That's why she always falls down and stuff. Like she does, she can't really control her own. Strength. Gravity is yeah, gravity is too strong. They would be like, we can't put that in there because then it would not be realistic. <laughs> but we'll have hints for it anyway. Yeah, oh, and and that her first idea is to reattach it with saliva. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, i love it i love it so much yeah. just like fun moments like that is really i think what makes it such an enjoyable movie because yeah. i just there's stuff that still makes me laugh when i've seen it more than 30 times yeah it's like please don't crush my soy nuts <laughs> your soy nuts are safe oh man yeah just so many great moments and i mean i do enjoy the movie princess diaries too but it just like has nothing to do with anything i feel like it's so weird that they just like went ahead and made it even though the guy who played michael couldn't be in it and i was like well michael's not important anymore yeah the fact that they made them break like oh we're still friends but we're broken up and now i'm gonna like go fall in love with someone else that is not mia thermopolis she is obsessed with Michael. She's in love with Michael. I don't care. Book, movie, whatever. It's fine. Princess Diaries 2 is fine as a movie. But it's a totally different universe. One where Raven is randomly there. <laughs> and there's Mattress surfing. As an African princess. Yeah. It's like, just... That's someone from Africa. I mean, she's American. Like, is she an African prince? Like, it's we don't know who she is. She's not explained. It's just like she shows up and, and Mia's like, oh, friend. it's you. And it's like, who is this? We've never <laughs> seen her before. Please introduce her to the audience. I do. I do wonder if at the end of the first movie, they like on the plane to Genovia, they enter some sort of like slipstream wormhole situation and just like land in another universe. And so that's why everything is crazy in the second The movie. castle that they see out the airplane window is completely different in the second movie. I do love it in like a very campy, removed from book and first movie reality way. But yeah, it's it's not like, it's not the first one. No, and it has a terrible script. Like, so many of the lines are so forced, and it's like, man, these actors were working really hard to sell this. Yeah. It's like certain certain moments just, like, don't work at all. There are funny lines in the second one, but I just think the, the first one, and I know that, like, a lot of the script of this movie was changed by Gary Marshall, like, while they were filming. I, they talk about that in... Oh, I should mention the commentary, because while... This commentary is not quite as iconic as Ella Enchanted. I do, I have seen this a lot of times with the commentary with Julie Andrews and Anne Hathaway having tea 
and Julie Andrews mostly just wants to talk about the tea, like the literal tea, not like spilling the metaphorical tea of the movie. She's just very excited about having tea. But Anne Hathaway like remembers the names of everybody and is like wants to give everybody credit for everything. But they talk a lot about how Gary Marshall would expect them to be like ready with the lines but also ready to just like chuck the entire script out on the day and be like no actually now we're gonna do it this way and say completely different lines and so a lot of it I think was not exactly improvised but sort of changed last minute and if you watch other Gary Marshall movies you can see that there's just so many things that he just likes to have in his movies that don't have anything to do with anything and I think that's part of what makes this movie weird and it's part of what makes it work too I think that it feels more cohesive because it's so there's the Gary Marshall trademark through it all and that he had his children work on it and gave it sort of a family feel I think really worked for this one yeah Rosemary I was saying to Jane that I need nepotism justice for Penny because Penny is the only Marshall member that is not in this movie and he mentions in I can't remember if it's the commentaries or like one of the special features that he's like they wanted me to cast Penny as the queen and I said absolutely not (laughs) that's gotta be a joke though I don't think that anyone considered Penny Marshall for the queen but that would be a hilarious movie it'd be a very different movie but it would be hilarious yeah well Penny Marshall and actually Carrie Fisher in one of my favorite childhood books, they did like a star-studded Emperor's New Clothes reading and Penny Marshall and Carrie Fisher play the ladies in waiting who are like very bitchy and talk about the queen behind her back. It's fantastic. <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> oh. Yeah, what role could Penny Marshall have played? That's a good question. They could have taken out the puppet and had Penny be the puppet instead. <laughs> but they strings. didn't use the puppet thing at oh, all. No. The person who says maybe it's string cheese, I believe, is Gary Marshall's wife. So she Penny could have just been one of those like background people. Yeah, she could have been at the state dinner. She could have been the pear juggler. That would have been great. Or one of the reporters. Yeah, Su- what, what's Suki Suki Sanchez? Sanchez? Yeah. No, we don't want to get rid of Suki Sanchez. I mean, one of the ones that were like, I'm from Teen Scene Magazine. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> she's wearing a grunge look. Like, no, she's just wet. <laughs> that is so funny. I love that moment. It's like, she's styling a wet sort of grunge look hairdo. Just <laughs> like, yes. She's wearing a sweatshirt, jeans, and jeans docks. And docks. That's the important uh, thing. Yeah, I do. I do appreciate that the docs are like the one thing that made it from book to movie, because those are very important. They are. It's her trademark. They mentioned in the commentary that like originally that scene was going to be like very regal and she was going to be in her ball gown and stuff. And they changed it so that they would have her looking like looking sort of not all put together and to show that her confidence was coming from within rather than from external things but they still gave her a makeover so like it was still partly external I mean okay the makeover scene 
I don't like makeover scenes in movies. There's too many of them. I will say this one is pretty good just because Larry Miller is hilarious. His weird like accent and his like fake European language thing is just, yeah, like Genefix, <laughs> yeah, like he just makes up stuff and it's just so silly. And that like his his little things that he says, like her eyebrows are named Frida and Kahlo. And just like really weird things. And so it's it's like not bad, but I also kind of wish that she hadn't had to have a makeover and they could have just like left her hair as it was. I know I know that her makeover is really to make her look more like Anne Hathaway and she was like Anne Hathaway had worn a wig and like fake eyebrows and stuff like that in her like earlier look. But I think it would have been really interesting to show like a quote unquote ugly person not having to change to be conventionally attractive and still being able to be empowered but like of course i'm not saying that they shouldn't have cast anne hathaway because she's great in this movie sure but at the same time it's like anne hathaway is also very conventionally attractive so like it would have been cool to have a like more not conventionally attractive looking person in this role and just like let her be who she is and look the way she looks but that obviously wasn't what this movie was trying to do but like that is one thing that that bothers me a little bit about it yeah she's also blonde in the books yes Mm -hmm. don't they give her a pixie cut yeah they cut i think that's what paolo's referencing when he says next time a little shorter but yes there's a very distinct reference in the book where she says her hair looks like an upside down yield sign because it's so it like here and then goes straight yeah you can't see me in the podcast but i'm gesturing (laughs) yeah it's like a triangle hair thing i remember that being mentioned. yeah i think about that a lot like yeah her yield sign hair i feel like part of what makes the makeover scene work i i will agree with you jane i think they give her way too much makeup for a 15 year old and then they just like the framing of it is like she started out so hideous and then look what I look what I made of this mess you gave me is Paolo's like you said just so funny he's so weird and a little gross but like in an amusing sort of way and then she also seems to be once they finish plucking her eyebrows she seems to be really enjoying herself she's got her walkman she's got cucumbers on her eyes she's like bopping to the music a little bit the cucumber does nothing Nothing. (laughs) yeah i don't object to it too much it's just sort of the concept of of makeovers is a little obnoxious to me but it, it works and I also think it's interesting because I believe from what I remember of the books when she's exposed to the press in the books it was actually the grandmother who mm-hmm. told the press and they changed it in the movie so that it was Paolo. I Paolo Putanesca. <laughs> that scene just like first of all we also have to talk about Sandra O. Oh. Yes, I was going to bring her up too. She as the vice principal Gupta is so good. She's like only in it a little bit but every moment she has is perfect from the from the beginning when she's like morning lily lily's friend and like but that scene when she like answers the phone and with her iconic Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm." 
the queen is coming to Grove High School. It's so good. And then and then when the queen shows up and she's like fawning over her and like imitating her gestures and then just like she like gives her this teacup and just like I'm sorry we don't have finer china and then she just like hands a paper cup to Helen the mom. Yeah. Uh, so good. And then when Joe brings Paolo in and they have their whole little like routine of like he keeps starting to go and Joe like pushes him back. It's, that scene is just there's just so much comedy gold there uh-huh. and it's like it's amazing. Well, yeah, so Larry Miller is in two of my favorite childhood movies that came out around the same time. This one and Best in Show. Yeah, and he's also in Mighty Wind. Right. He he sets up one of uh, Jennifer Coolidge's best moments, too, (laughs) because he's the one that she has one brain. They have one brain between them. Oh, okay. The two of them. So, yes. Yeah, so he just, like, the difference between those two roles, but they're both equally funny and weird. Yeah, oh, yeah, best in show, he's awful. Like, I mean, I guess he's awful in this, too, like his character is. But in that one, he's just, like, openly flirting with a married woman and then his oh yeah his job is like to talk people down down we're gonna jump off buildings but he's terrible at it and he's just like oh they always jump their eyes pop out like grapes (laughs) oh he's so he's such a silly man yeah but yes so i enjoy him i enjoy sandra oh a lot i enjoy kathleen marshall i think that her charlotte is very a great character i also not that I want there to be more romances, but I really like the thing between Clarice and Joe mm-hmm. and how they their dancing scene is kind of it it has moments that remind me of the sound of music with Christopher Plummer, like their dancing yeah. scene. But I love when Charlotte comes in and is like about to say something and then sees they're having a moment, just like backs yeah, away. I'll go away now. Yeah. My other favorite Charlotte moment is when <laughs> when uh she's worried because Mia hasn't shown up at the ball at the end and uh Clarice is like is everything all right and she goes everything's perfect perfect it's wonderful <laughs> you're not very good at lying are you Charlotte no I'm not <laughs> no I'm not your majesty oh it's so good so good there's just that I think that's ultimately like I mean the story overall is great and the acting is great and all that. But like, I think just all those little fun little moments are really what keeps me returning to this movie. Yeah. It's just like, there's so many fun little scenes like that. And that's enough pair juggling. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good, like, ah, uh, there's just, yeah. It's just such a fun little movie. It's funny you mentioned the, the dance scene because I was thinking about how like sweet that is when he says you've been wearing black for far too long and in comparison I had no recollection of this line from Lily but she says to Mia she says the guy died what two months ago I thought you'd gotten over it already what are you talking about (laughs) her dad died eight weeks ago and you're like you should move on well but also she'd never met her dad so like true but also like i feel like that's also not a very long time to mourn your son (laughs) because it's like but i think that her husband died the previous year yeah i think he's i think he's referencing rupert not yeah not philippe king rupert may he rest in peace 
Oh, that's from the second one, though. <laughs> I also didn't recall Pierre. I didn't recall there being a brother at all. Oh, yeah. Maybe he's not in the book, but... Is he in the book? I don't remember him. It's really, like, referenced sort of offhandedly. Like, oh, yes, my, my eldest Pierre wanted to abdicate and join the church. It's like, yeah. you have another kid? What? Yeah. <laughs> Where is like... he? <laughs> that Yeah, that was... I feel like that was kind of unnecessary. Yeah, there were a lot of changes that I feel like they really didn't need to make. Like, Mr. G in the book is an algebra teacher, Helen's boyfriend. And now all of a sudden he's Mr. O'Connell and teaches debate, but also coaches baseball, but also teaches English. It's just always there. They have, like, four teachers in the school, and they're just all in every class. There's Tarbula, there's Vice Principal Gupta, and there's Mr. O'Connell, and maybe there's one other person floating the around. choir teacher. Oh, yes. Yes, okay. In the scene when um when Mia puts the ice cream on Lana, and Gupta's like, oh, I was in a very important meeting. It's just the four of them. It's just like, them having lunch. That's the entire staff of, of the, of the school. The school. Lana got coned. Lana got coned. I was so confused by the Lana got coned chant for a long yes. time because I couldn't tell what they were saying. And I was like, is that a thing? Or is that just like what people have just decided to call this? It's it's the early 2000s as opposed to late 2000s equivalent of getting slushied, I guess. Mm. It's just something that happens in high schools with mean kids. I don't know. I also, speaking of not being able to understand what people are saying, for my entire life until this rewatch, I thought Fontana said after the debate situation, I thought she said to Mia, I thought you were speaking at the Believe It convention. Okay, I thought that was just me. Bulimic, which makes so much more sense. But I was like, what? What is this? Is this something that I should know about? That I don't believe it? What? Yeah, that's what I heard too. Because she's like, is it true you're speaking at the Believe It convention? And yeah, okay. Like, I believe it? It's definitely bulimic. Well, yes, that does make a lot more sense. But yeah, no, I couldn't understand that for a long time too. Okay, I'm glad it's not just me. I thought once I figured out what they were saying, I was like, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Of course, that's what they're saying. But okay. I was yes. definitely, it was one of the more recent rewatches when I realized she was saying a yachting Yahoo. I thought she was just saying a yachty Yahoo. Oh, yeah. I thought that for at first for a while, too. Okay. Do you remember? I, I don't know who when this was, but we used to have a computer in the basement and it didn't, it wasn't connected to the internet. We just used it for like, writing papers and stuff and it would have it we made it so that the screensaver was like word art and we it was like like the showers upstairs didn't work so we would always shower in the basement and we'd walk by this computer and like every time we would walk by we would change the screensaver to the next line from that scene when Lily and Mia are fighting and playing basketball like that scene so I just remember like we would just we quoted that whole scene in the screensaver on that computer for no reason just because it was a fun thing to do yeah Uh, that that very much tracks with what I know of your childhood and your relationship (laughs) yes um so I still think about that computer whenever I think of that, that scene. <laughs> That's funny. But I'm I'm not sure if we wrote Yachting Yahoo or if we wrote Yada Yahoo. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. I also need to mention that I was a youth that kept a diary um, pretty faithfully. And there is a section of a diary that I had around that time where I was like, I can't believe I keep saying the word I, I should think about other people. And it was because I was like, <laughs> inspired by Mia Thermopolis's speech. Oh but it was gosh. like, it's so funny, this, this little section of like, 12 year old me being like, I need to stop saying I. <laughs> like it was Aww. just a new thought that had occurred to me. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's sad and cute at the same time. Yes. So what else do we need to cover? Well, I definitely want to mention the soundtrack, which I think is one of my favorite parts of this movie. I think I, I I mean, I've seen the movie a zillion times and like had the VHS and the DVD, but I also had the CD and I must have listened to this CD until it was like so scratched beyond belief every song is so mm -hmm. good yeah i remember we got the cd from the library a few times but we never owned it we had the princess diaries 2 soundtrack yeah also good but not quite as good i was just so excited about julie andrews singing again so yes. like that is my favorite song from the second movie yeah definitely not sure why raven's there but you know it's still a great song she has to do some sort of hippity hoppity for the year <laughs> they, they won't they won't last doing the just julie andrews doing like a musical style number but i don't won't. know how to I don't do know this how to sort do of thing <laughs> <laughs> oh man anyway but yes the the soundtrack for the original movie which is what we're supposed to be talking about is really good there's so many great songs on it and um i really i it's super random but i really enjoy mandy moore singing stupid cupid i don't really know why she sings it there in the movie but like it's great it's a weird song to have in that scene it's weird that she sings it but i'm so glad she does i also really enjoy that um anna and fontana are there as backup singers but their mouths never move they're just like doing a dance and like you hear the like background vocals but they're not singing they're not lip syncing yeah i will say mandy did not lip sync that scene particularly well um but her outfit is good enough to where it doesn't even matter her polka dot skirt is incredible and the like uniboob tank top sweater <laughs> yeah the the halter sweater with the handkerchief hem oh my gosh it's very y2k it's exactly what i would wear to the beach <laughs> sure and platform flip-flops i also need to confess something that as a child when this movie came out whatever i was very confused because I thought that Mandy Moore and Marilyn Monroe were the same person. <laughs> and so I was so confused because I like knew that Marilyn Monroe, like I wasn't a hundred percent sure who she was, but I knew she was like an icon and that like she was in princess diaries. Cause it was like an alliterative <laughs> M name. And I totally like was like, I don't know. It's gotta be Marilyn Monroe. And then like, 
finding out more about Marilyn Monroe as I got older and then I was like I don't think that's Marilyn <laughs> I think she's very I dead think so. I, don't, I don't think it's the same person it could be but I'm not quite sure but I remember that's amazing. being very confused about <laughs> Mandy Moore and Marilyn Monroe <laughs> and that movie that's, that's really cute one thing that I think is really interesting that I didn't quite pick up on until more recent rewatches is like just speaking of the whole beach thing they're taking pictures of a 15 year old in a state of undress and publishing them in tabloids and it's seen as the 15 year old's fault mm-hmm. it's horrible it's it's terrible and like it's supposed to be bad and you're like supposed to think like oh it's i feel bad for her but i hadn't quite absorbed how awful that is and it's like i mean that does happen stuff like that and it's like it's her fault when it very much was not for several reasons but i just it's just like struck me as so much more disturbing to be like okay we're gonna have this undressed teenager that we took pictures of without her consent and uh blame her for it and that was upsetting to me when I was just realizing that. But I also think that the scene when Clarice confronts Mia about that is really well done. I think that they like hit those emotional beats really well. And just like the, that she's really disappointed in her, but like Mia handles it well. And then I love when Joe comes in and sort of says like, you were too harsh on her and that they managed to slip in some levity with her with that moment of like her friends didn't help and a banana montana and i love that and then that like that's the moment when clarice says i have no idea what you're talking about (laughs) is great but i also think it's like such a good point of like the thing about like as a queen i was too critical of the person who could become the next ruler of my country and he says no as a grandmother you were too harsh on your granddaughter Mm -hmm. and then that she takes that into the scene when they're in Mia's house talking about giving the speech or whatever but she says like I'm first and foremost your grandmother and then that great moment when she hugs her and then just kind of goes oh I I did it I hugged someone is so great because she's been so emotionally distant and yeah I just I think that they really like they they Julie Andrewsified the queen, but they didn't like make her completely like soft and lovable. I mean, I guess it's kind of Mary Poppins too, where she's like standoffish, right. but then also like sweet underneath. But she's definitely not Maria von Trapp. No, Correct. she has to go through a journey too. Like the queen goes through a journey as well as Mia, and they go through very different journeys, but kind of meet up at the end. And it's also just really nice that Clarice still believed that Mia could do it, and like had a tiara ready for her, even mm-hmm. though she said she was going to step down. And like the whole end part of the movie just really pays off. And I think that their relationship arc, the grandmother granddaughter relationship, is really a great center story to this whole thing like it's like yeah it's about a girl who finds out she's a princess but it's also about like becoming connected with her estranged grandmother who also needs some connection in her life and i think that that's very well done yeah i totally agree mia's dad is dead but we see like pictures of him and one like flashback and that is anne hathaway's actual father the voice is not but 
they were going to use pictures of him, but then the scene with when he's writing the note in the diary, they were just going to have somebody else wearing a wig to look like his hair. But then he happened to be in San Francisco for unrelated reasons while they were filming there. So they just like got him writing the that's so cute. letter. So that's kind of fun. I think another thing that this movie does well is like adults taking teenagers seriously. Oh, yeah. And like listening to them like Mia and her mom have like real conversations together and her mom doesn't just like brush her off and be like well you're just a dumb teenager like her mom like takes things to heart and you know and she's like how could you lie to me for 15 years I don't feel protected like her mom like takes that and is like this is where we're at now and let's see what we can do to move forward and then well, again, when Mia's like, I can't believe you're dating my teacher. She's like, she actually apologizes to her. Yeah. And like, when even like the premise of the Mia has to hit a baseball to pass gym class is stupid. But like, I even really like that gym teacher because she's just like, I'm rooting for you. And like, yeah, I love Coach Herbula. Mm-hmm. She like, Without, like, compromising her, like, Mia says, I can't do this, I'm a girl. And she's like, hello? (laughs) What am I, a duck? Am I a duck, yeah. Which is hilarious when in the bonus features you see that actor make duck noises and various (laughs) other sound effects, which she's fantastic at. But, yeah, she's very supportive while, like, being like, you got to do this thing. I know it's hard. And then she does it and she's so proud of her at the end, which is really nice. And, you know, having Josh get hit in the balls is not a downside (laughs) in the slightest. I also think it's really funny that nobody else in the outfield can possibly pick up the ball. (laughs) Just like, you have to get up and throw it. We can't come over and find it. Well, one kid kid is on the phone with his mom about the dentist, so it couldn't be him. And then 12, 12 girls are doing some sort of cheerleading routine, so it couldn't be them. Why? Okay, but also, like, why is the entire staff there because like, Mr. O'Connell could have picked up the ball yeah like why was he there in the gym class why is Gupta coaching the cheerleaders like it's just it, like it's I don't know okay two things that I was gonna say one thing going back to the mom relationship I love when after the like beach fiasco the mom says like my mom always told me not to cry and like to be strong mm-hmm. but you've been hurt so you just cry and like I think that's so great it's like yeah feel your feelings let's encourage girls to to feel their feelings and not shame them for being upset when upsetting things happen and the other thing going way back to when we were talking about why the teacher changes from algebra to the like debate teacher because in the books Mia's really bad at math and then Mm -hmm. like her mom's dating her math teacher but I think that it really it contributed to the arc to have her like have this fear of public speaking and then like going into being a princess where like you have to do a lot of public speaking 
and like that adding to the reason of like why not only why she doesn't want to be a princess but why she doesn't even want to show up to abdicate the throne like she's gonna run away to colorado in a car that doesn't run that seems like a good plan without a driver's license yeah with the cat with the cat yeah she's gonna take the cat to go rock climbing and you can tell fat louie is like first of all this is a terrible idea second of all please do not bring me into this i want to live <laughs> In my warm firehouse, okay, with my crazy artist mom. Do not take me to the rocks. Yes. But anyway, so yeah, I think that that might have been part of why they decided to make the teacher that the mom ends up with be the debate teacher. So they could show that, set it up really early. Yeah, it's definitely like easier to show being bad at debate in a movie Mm-hmm. than it is to be like I am bad at algebra <laughs> yeah well yeah and it's it's also like it's not mean girls where she has to solve the equation at the end of the movie for the big finish it's like she has to make give a this speech, speech. right so. yeah it's like it's not that she's found out she's like inheriting a, a math thing <laughs> like you you have you have to be the head of the math department because of who your father was or something it's like oh no but i'm bad at math yeah that's hilarious so yeah so i i think that it works i do think it's weird that they changed his name but mm-hmm. whatever i don't know maybe there are more irish people than italians in san francisco which i don't think is true but they changed it to san francisco just so they could have the scene where she like goes down the hill and runs into a trolley like that which is a great scene by the way but like it's like it doesn't really have anything to do with the story i guess i guess it shows the queen in action which it's a little bit of like showing that royalty can get away with stuff that other Mm -hmm. people can't but i just think it's just so great to show that the queen can like she's loosening up a little bit yeah i mean you first of all get the nuns calling 911 and they're busy and they say for the love of god which is hilarious iconic then you get the order of the rose and then at the end she says goodbye trolley people (laughs) and you get the does anybody have a saber (laughs) i've got an umbrella (laughs) Which I love. I love, first of all, like, of course, everyone's carrying around a saber. And then just like, I've got an umbrella. And she's like, "Eh, well, I have an emergency break. This will do nicely. It's so great. And then and then I love that the trolley driver and the police officer show up at the ball at Mm -hmm. the end with little like things like they got an official badge. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, yes, they let's make the order of the rose a real thing and and also anne hathaway's oh oh ooh is so well done like every moment of that scene is just great yeah 100 percent. i think going back to adults taking teens seriously and paying attention to them i think another really good example of that is joe mm-hmm. oh yeah and the ways that he like pays attention to mia and like he encourages her like when Lily has a negative reaction to her like getting a makeover and he's just like you're gonna be okay and then what we already talked about when he like goes when Clarice is like was I too hard on her and he's like yeah you were I really like the ways that Joe is like a safe adult for her and like is a really good bodyguard sort of person yeah he won't let her take the flags 
off the limo, but he will quote Eleanor Roosevelt to her and put up the divider screen so she can put on pantyhose in the back seat. Well, he won't let her call him Joey. Right. But he'll go and buy her high heels. He went and got her the pantyhose and the high heels. And like, he seems like he knows what's going on. Also, when he's like with the beach friends and like knowing that they're like ridiculous and mean to her. And like, yeah. Yeah, I think I think that that is another reason why this movie was so like comforting as a child and teen to watch because you're like my problems do matter and like adults do care about teens kind of thing I think that there's that sense of it that really makes it a comforting movie and like I hope that all teenagers have a Joe in their life or a Clarice or a Helen or a Cotarbula or a Charlotte or you know the way that that Mia has these supportive people in her life that aren't even necessarily related to her Mm -hmm. it's a really nice portrayal of that yeah yeah I totally agree anything else that we desperately want to add I mean there's so much more that I could say about this movie but uh I don't want to just go on and on forever I think that that we've covered a lot of the important things about it maybe we can release our own deleted scenes at some point (laughs) (laughs) with puppets and bananas yeah the deleted scenes are very interesting i think that they did did a great job of figuring out what to delete and what (laughs) to keep a great job of deleting them (laughs) yeah (laughs) well because a lot of times like you you see deleted scenes and you're like, oh, this could have been in the movie. I mean, I guess the one, I, I do think it would have been nice to see uh, Mia and Michael having pizza together. Because mm-hmm. it is a little odd that the pizza is so important at the end. And they right. just, like kind of mentioned it once in a throwaway line right before. Wait up, wait for me, not you. I don't even know you. Which is amazing, and I love it so much. We haven't talked enough about Lily, I don't think, but she is a great character. Mm-hmm. I feel like very often in movies where there's like a best friend, the best friend is just kind of there to like be a sidekick. Mm-hmm. And I think Lily Moskovitz is no one's sidekick, and she like is doing her best to make a difference in the world, and then like finds out that her friend actually might have the means to really make a difference and like calls her out when she's like yeah you absolutely can do this but she's like Lily's not perfect like she gets really jealous of Mia and so I think that that she's a very complex character and I really like the way that she's portrayed yeah I think if we were talking about the second movie we could say more because I think Lily is a more active participant in the sequel but we do get the great scene of her trying to vamp while she has Jeremiah on shut up and listen and you know that is one of the major conflicts is like Mia's ditching all her friends for this you know popularity that she thinks she wants and then it turns out that that's not actually what's going to make her happy. It's so wild to me that she doesn't even tell Lily that she's going on a date with Josh. Like, it it seems like that would be something that you would tell your best friend, even if you forgot that you were supposed to be doing something with them. It's almost like 
did Mia forget or was she like intentionally avoiding her because she I mean I know there was the whole thing earlier in the film when when Lily's like jerk and jerkette sighting and like Lily does never like Josh so I guess that could have been part of it too but it's like at least she tells Michael that she's not showing up for their date whereas like she doesn't even tell Lily she's not going to be on her show yeah I do think there could have been some sort of mention like I can't tell Lily what I'm doing because she's going to judge me and like She's going to be even more mad if I, you know, tell her I'm I'm going to the party with Josh than if I just like didn't show up. But yeah, but she doesn't even it's like she forgot about Lily completely. Like it's like I'm not thinking about Lily at all. And it's like interesting to show her kind of starting to go off into this direction of like, I'm going to be a mean popular kid and then just like totally failing at it and being like, you know, that wasn't me. I totally messed up the movie does a good job of showing you how to take responsibility for when you mess up and then mm-hmm. like showing, but you don't have to take responsibility for everything. Cause like not all the stuff that happened at the beach was Mia's fault. And it's portrayed as unreasonable that like people get so upset at her about that. But also like some of the stuff she did was bad. Like she mm-hmm. ditched her best friend and like showing her take responsibility for that, apologize, try and make amends for both Lily and Michael. I I I just think that's done really well. And I think that that's a good message to be giving to kids of like, you do need to take responsibility for the stuff that is your fault. And when she does apologize, she never like demands that she be forgiven. Like she says to Lily on the roof, she's like, I hope you can forgive me. Mm-hmm. She doesn't like expect that that's automatically going to come just because she said she's sorry which yeah. I think is really cool. And I love Lily's response of, but what will I wear? And she's right. just like, oh, I'm so glad you're going to come. And it's it's just a really sweet moment. And I will I will say, when she hugs Lily after Lily says she's going to come to the party, her foot does pop. Yes, it does. I, I noted that as well. So it's not just, it's not just a romantic thing. It's for any kind of love. Yeah, and again, that's, what I do really like about this movie is that they focus on a lot of different kinds of love, a lot of different deep relationships with different people. And I think they do a really good job of developing many of them. And that's really great. I love this movie. Oh, me too. I do too. Well, thanks for, thanks for having me on to talk about it again. Yes. I'm so glad to have both of you back. I'm so glad we got to talk about it, the three of us. That was fun. Yes. So uh, thank you so much for being here. And I don't know how to wrap this up. (laughs) Miracles happen. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for being here today. Yes. Oh, that's another great moment that I must mention when Joe is like so committed to pretending to drive the car that he even like puts the parking brake on before getting up. So great. Anyway, thank you for being here today. I love this movie. I love both of you. And I'm so glad that we did this. Me too. Goodbye, trolley people. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, that was so fun. Thank you to Sophie and Rosemary for that lovely chat, and thank you, audience, for listening. This will be my final guest episode. My top six are so personal that it feels right to just talk about them myself. The next two episodes will be the final tie on my list, featuring the two movies that I watched 31 times. 
Coincidentally, one of them is the oldest movie in my entire top 40, and the other is the newest. The newest movie is also the shortest movie on the list, so I'll be talking about that first. As always, I will leave you with a quote from that next movie. First off, I work alone. Always have, always will. Second, take a hike. I don't touch Hollywood cases. Not since... the war.